outside the box of religious obligation lies a road less travelled into the heart of the Father's affection. Slinging freedom all over the place, this is the God Journey. So you bagged your elk, did you? <laughs> I did. Um, it was a, let's just say quite a weekend. Most people shoot the elk and then cook the elk. So you kind of cooked the elk last week, then you out shot one. So <laughs> that's true. Get your blood boiling. Uh, that's, it's true. It, it did give me just a, a um, enhanced excitement about being able to have a lot of elk meat in my fridge or in my freezer. But uh. yeah, I went from having girls with fevers and sitting up in bed until almost nine o'clock at night with one of my daughters who was not feeling well at all. Almost um, nine o'clock and that didn't sound too bad. Uh, it wasn't until I had to get up at four o'clock in the morning to go elk, elk hunting. Oh, um, okay. You're going to bed earlier than that. Say, we're up every morning these nights uh, with a puppy. So somebody's got the uh, three, three o'clock, three thirty shift. Sarah and I are alternating nights, but uh, so you were with sick kids and then at 4 a.m. out hunting. Uh, getting ready at 4 a.m. And then, I mean, it was it was a great day. There's a family that Jess and I are getting to know and the husband, he's a hunting guide and he doesn't get a chance to go hunting for himself very often. Mm. And so he invited me to go with him, which was a huge privilege. So you didn't have to pay him too. That's a, that's a good part. Uh, also a perk. Yes, that was nice. That was a great gift from him. I mean, it was one of those days where getting the opportunity to be in beauty and in nature with somebody that I've been getting to know and getting to do that adventure. That's honestly, that's where friendships really get take substance. So we hiked, we hiked over, over 14 miles. I, I saw your watch. You sent me your watch shot. Gosh, recorded 14 miles, 230 flights of stairs, which 31,000 steps. I mean, up, down, up, down, up, down mountains like crazy. And it, it actually, honestly, it leads into the best thing that I heard this week because I was talking to my, my friend, Dusty, his wife, who I work with. She said, well, Kyle, I have to admit that you passed the Smith family boot camp. And I was like, what do you mean the Smith family boot camp? And she's like, well, you know, you went out and you suffered with my husband and you went and did this crazy adventure and you kept up and you didn't complain. So you passed boot camp. That's <laughs> well, all it takes, huh? Don't whine. Don't complain. Yeah, it was very humbling, honestly, um, because I tend to be the person that people are pointing to and saying it's hard to keep up with that guy or his perspective of what is realistic in the outdoors is not realistic for the average person. Mm. Well, I definitely met my match. Um, this guy is next level outdoor beast when it comes to hiking and backpacking. And so you yeah. didn't complain, but you had to fight to keep up. There was definitely some suffering that occurred. Yes. <laughs> and was this uh, bow hunting or guns or rifle? Yeah. Okay. Yep. I mean, you really convinced me that you're into this for the nature experience when you take a camera with you <laughs> instead of a gun. But there is a blend, right? So there's the joy of the outdoors. Yeah. There's the joy of there's the joy and camaraderie of brotherhood yes. and suffering alongside of each other. And then there's the beauty of being able to source local organic meat for my family in an ethical way. But you're there's a predator in that creation. I am the most humane predator that elk will ever encounter. <laughs> I think he would not assume he wouldn't want to encounter any kind of predator in the woods. 
which isn't a reality because there's lots of wolves in the place where we're at. Okay. So, you know, between my one shot instant kill versus a pack of wolves that takes quite a while, I would say I was a lot more gracious in the way that I. I'm sure you are. Meat. There's got to be people here from more urban settings who can't even imagine you talking the way you are. Like, how did Kyle get on this podcast when he's a murderer? Unfortunately, you just opened up my Wyoming nature, and now we're calling the herd at another level. <laughs> yes, we are. We're calling it in a number of ways. And here oh, I am at gosh. home. I'm I'm getting into the festive Christmas mood with my wife. I used to be bah humbuggy about all this stuff, and man, now mm -hmm. I'm help Sarah put her village up, cut stuff, Ooh. put stuff. Yeah, I've never helped with the village before, but it's my second year, so I'm just kind of learning to enjoy Christmas. It's a uh, okay. Seeing Sarah's joy makes it all worthwhile, though. What What are some things in the midst of it that you found for you as you're learning to walk at Sarah's holiday pace? Uh, Sarah's joy. <laughs> <laughs> it reduced me to tears the other day. I mean, she was out in the yard. She called the, and part of it's the puppy, but she was calling the big dog out to be with her. The puppy mm -hmm. was sleeping. She's so being real sneaky, quiet, and walked out among the backyard. And people haven't seen pictures. They haven't put pictures up by the backyard yet. But, man, the she just lights up in the yard the birds are feeding she's got 14 bird feeders out here and birds everywhere it looks like cinderella or mm -hmm. walking through the garden all the birds doing all the crazy stuff and i just the look on her face the freedom and the joy this really is and christmas is her season and the garden is a place to enjoy and yeah her joy makes my joy complete it really mm -hmm. does there's not much i could skip the whole season in terms of all the stuff that we do for it but yeah. Seeing her joy, knowing this is her happy place. It's good stuff. Mm. So I'm in it for her. But you do have a tree, a living tree planted in your house. Did that get decorated? Did the Arboretum get dec decorated? No, there's a poinsettia in there. Someone gave us a huge poinsettia. Didn't leave a name. Didn't leave anything. Just left the big poinsettia on our front doorstep. We have no idea who did it. So it's sitting in the atrium at the moment because we don't know what else to do with it. But no, we're not, we're not going to decorate that tree because it's, it's a beautiful kind of fragile tree so okay hanging stuff on it would probably make it bend and we're just not gonna hang stuff on it. <laughs> so i you we found holy war part two we did but we didn't get the best things we heard this week oh but well i already shared mine so what is your best thing that you heard this week first of all i'm wayne jacobson and i'm kyle rice my best thing i heard this week this is kind of even off of you i know you starting the holy war thing again this is kind mm -hmm. of off of that a little bit i was listening to a podcast, mostly a political podcast, had nothing to do with the yeah. last election, nothing to do with all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But actually it was talking about Henry Kissinger passing away and some of the mixed reviews of his stewardship of our foreign policy, some good, some bad. And he, he said, made this statement extemporaneously. So it's not artful, but man, I, this is the thing that has plagued me my whole life long. Mm -hmm. He said, it is very difficult for the good in people to put in place a system to tamp down the ugly in humanity. Mm. That's a great statement. It's a very yeah. difficult for the good in people to put in place a system to tamp down the ugly in humanity. And that's, yeah. that's always been my struggle with most of our Christian institutional ways that we try and structure community. Because mm. very early on, I could see even, even the, the, group I got to play with for 20 years and put my own system, quote unquote, in place and trying to find this plurality of elders and collegially listening to the body of Christ and just kind of a 
more amorphous way of trying to find a way to say it seems good to us and good to the Holy Spirit, which is uh, Acts 15. And when that system betrays you, I've watched the charismatic renewal continue to seek for a system, whether it was a shepherding discipleship movement back in the 70s, or even now we talked about last week, the new apostolic reformation. All of that is a constant search of structure. How do we put a structure in place that will keep bad people from exploiting it or misusing it? Mm-hmm. In fact, I was, when my time in that congregation ended in the story I've told a million times about my best friend, co-pastor, resigning me one day when I was out of town, one of the th- and I was working on this book called A New Structure for the Body of Christ. And <laughs> I had pages and pages of notes. I've been teaching about it, why went places, how do we put a structure in place? And then when the guy in Australia said to me, you don't realize yet that God didn't give us a structure, he gave us a spirit. And as I've watched other people toy with their, their and they're always sure they have the structure that will work. Mm-hmm. But no structure is better than the people in it. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, I think people who listen to Jesus and are more humble in their approach to life, they, they don't pull the levers of power that needed to be pulled to make a structure work. Mm-hmm. And the uglier side of humanity who is in love with power and who's in love with notoriety, they'll pull those levers and yeah. end up distorting whatever. That's why church, in air quotes, historically has wrestled with so many you know, you do the a, a democratic system of government, or or an eldership, or a autocratic authoritarian, and all of that always depends on the person involved. And mm. and the one that seems worse is even when you put a good person in authority, that that authority will eventually corrupt them. That's also the history of it all. Not yes. only the the two thousand year span of history. That's the history of my watching it happen among the body of Christ. Whoever gets absolute control ends up to be a very distorted kind of personality and very destructive. So I thought that's interesting. Coming, coming out of from a Christian setting at all, it's very difficult for the good in people to put in place a system to tamp down the ugly in humanity, which means we can stop trying. If Jesus can't be the head of his church, if he can't be its authority and he can't, if we've got to put together a system to try and keep things tamped down, it will always fail us. It just will. Whether it fails the people we're trying to serve, or it fails those who are no longer servant leaders, but they're autocratic or authoritarian or like these apostles and prophets where they're being dominating as the word, it causes lots of problems. So, I mean, that's me 30 years ago. I gave up a system of that. I just, if people don't in love honor one another, there's no system, not family system, business system. Mm-hmm. You have to put something in place in society, right? You got to have jails and laws. And if you can't, if you're going to be destructive in the culture, we're going to pull you out of it for a while. I get that, but that's, that's no way to run the body of Christ. It's interesting though, that you say, if Jesus can't be the head of his church, you know, I think about that and I'm like, I know that most people that I know that are deeply committed to the traditional institutional experience would say, oh no, but Jesus is the head of our church or Jesus is the head of our community. And it's, it's intriguing because it's like, okay, but is he really? Like, if you took a, an honest inventory of that, would Jesus agree? You know, if he walked in the doors, would he agree with that assessment or not? And it's interesting because I, I wrestle with that idea of, okay, yes, there are like systems and structure. We talked in my last sociology class about the value of ritual 
what ritual adds to culture and what ritual adds to society. And yes, there are rituals that can take away from it, but there's also rituals and groundings and foundation celebrations that can really add to culture. And what does that look like? And and so I, I wonder like, okay, can structure add to the experience or not? Actually, one of the things that you told me as I, I'm thinking about this, when our relationship was in its very infant stages was, yeah, a Sunday morning gathering for the first, you know, two to three years usually is great. And the longer it becomes ritualized and the longer it becomes institutionalized and the more structure that occurs, the less and less it tends to bear the life of Christ. And I've seen that to be the reality. I mean, that's been my experience time and time again, that the longer it's in place and the longer that structure is there, the more it's about maintaining that structure and the less there is about following the head or following the heart of Christ. Yeah, that's the challenge. And I we don't meet it well. Our humanity, mm. not only are there people who want to take the structures and whatever, use it for their own gain or their own spurious ends or whatever, mm -hmm. but you've also just got the, the people who find the whole Jesus thing lifeless when it's just a set of rituals. And I'm, I'm not against yeah. structure. I think everything takes structure. Podcast takes structure. It takes Absolutely. meeting. and So I'm not against structure. I guess when we're looking for structure to protect us. Mm. is probably the mistake we make. If we if we mm. find rituals that move us closer to Jesus, and Sarah and I have rituals that we observe that move us closer to Jesus, but mm -hmm. there's not a one of them we wouldn't leave tomorrow if it just felt like, oh, okay, we're doing the same thing over and over again, and it's exhausting and not life-giving, then we, we'd chuck it. And I think mm. the difference is, you know, talking about human cultures and the importance of ritual, and I get that. There's things that move me in this even United States culture I live in from the singing of the Star Spangled Banner to America the Beautiful, there are things that move me at, at a purely, wonderfully deep human sharing in common kind of level. But there's also things that get exploited for, for great harm, and you've got to somehow negotiate the difference between those two. And I don't know that we're good at doing it. Almost everything gets increasingly corrupted, just like our apps on our phone get increasingly corrupted with the need to monetize and the need to make money and the need to do this. And I, I just think there's something about humanity that's so broken that we can't really let Jesus be the head of his church. I mean, I, I agree. I think most people think, I mean, we would have sworn by it back in the day. Yeah, yeah we're Jesus is the head of our church. And then we're treating each other and gossip and all kinds of stuff is going on that kind of says, eh, maybe not so much. So when do we recognize or how do we recognize when the switch has happened? When the structure is no longer serving the people or serving what God is up to in the world around us? Or how, how do we recognize when the ritual has swi switched from something that is moving us into greater intimacy with Father than to something that we are serving or that we are having to protect or we are having to maintain. How do you, what are some of the characteristics of recognizing when it's made that switch? I think when it feels more lifeless and it feels like we're having to push through and the return is not so great, which is what we talked about last week. Then we start getting into the need for revival and we're praying lots for revival to happen because remaining the structure is already failing us. So I, th I think I, yeah. a lot of human sweat instead of the fragrance of father moving about it, mm. it, it comes down, like I say, so many, it comes down to our yuck meter to the Holy Spirit saying, yeah, you're stepping over a line here, step back. But the problem is most people won't hear that. So the people that step back often step back alone. 
which is another trend of this thing, because we mm -hmm. seem to find comfort in our systems. You know, we talked about some of this last week, which I think the whole new apostolic reformation, the very conversation about it is, how do we provide a new structure for the church and for renewal and revival? And it began with structure. When I was invited to speak at a house church conference a decade or so ago, and I was saying, I think I got the wrong guy. I'm not a house church guy. And they said, well, you want you to come and interact, and we want to explore some of your thoughts. And then a month before, they called me to say, the theme of this conference is going to be the infrastructure for the movement. I'm going, mm. okay, you really have the wrong guy because infrastructure <laughs> means leadership. It means who's in charge. How do we protect? And the idea of us trying to protect, whether it's ourselves or it becomes problematic. You know, mm. I'm okay with policemen protecting things. But when humanity yeah. in more interpersonal ways tries to do that, it doesn't happen. In fact, that's uh, Sarah and I read recently John Ward's book called Testimony. And mm. the subtitle is Inside the Evangelical Movement That Failed a Generation. And the point he's making, I mean, he, he's a journalist in secular media, but he's a passionate evangelical. Grew up in some of the same th things that we talked about last week, same names, yeah. same renewal kinds of movements, and similar age to me. And then he talked about uh, Trump's speech at Liberty University, and I'm going to get yelled at for this. I promise you, within an hour of the podcast dropping last week, I get a, an uh, email from somebody, from Scott. He says, keep out of politics, Wayne. You don't know what you're talking about. That was the entire email. <laughs> I went, great. We touched a nerve there. And then I actually, my response to him was, accusations are easy. Reason conversation against your biases is not. That's all I sent back to him. And then we began to, a bit of a conversation. He was less concerned mm -hmm. about the new apostolic extreme charismatics as he was that I was an anti-Trump guy. I'm not a... I, I like I said, I voted for Trump in the first election, but I, for me, character is real important and mm. how we treat each other. And then he jumps on this thing. I think uh, Donald Trump has a thousand times more character than Joe Biden ever has. I'm just going, okay, if you got to defend your guy by pointing to somebody else, then you haven't got much to defend. And I, I, I wouldn't think either one of them has all the character I'd love to see in a national leader. They just don't. So the fact that I have concerns about one— in John Ward's book, This Testimony, if you grew up in my generation, you probably really would enjoy this read. But he said what he observed when I watched Trump's speech at Liberty University in 2021, this is what Trump said, we're going to protect Christianity, he said. Bad things are happening. Other religions, frankly, they're banding together. The power we have, somehow we have to unify. We have to band together. And then this is John Ward's conclusion of that. He thought of Christianity as a tribe in which the goal was to war against other groups for power not as a set of beliefs its followers held to actually be true, which then shaped their thoughts and actions. Domination, self-gratification, and personal glory. These things were his true religion. Trump worshipped himself, and he was teaching other Christians to do the same. I, I know it's going to really freak people out, but if you're not blinded by this Trump need to protect Christianity, and we're going to Dad, gummit, get back at these secularists that have been taking our call. And you're not, you don't, you're not in that anger and vengeance mode to hear him say that Trump worshipped himself, and he was teaching other Christians to do the same. Hmm. And that all begins. Notice that's not unconnected to what we're just talking about about structure. That's all connected to how do we protect ourselves? Hmm. And once Christians decided to go to Trump for protection, 
and made up all the prophetic, and I'll say made up, even though I know how that works, where you convince yourself the Holy Spirit said it, but you made up all the justifications to put him in power for you because you don't trust Jesus to protect you anymore, to make you relevant in a society, maybe underneath it instead of on top of it. And they were already on that seven mountain domination thing. So they were already kind of on that trail in a way that was hurtful. And I think that's always true of us. So when we're trying to self-protect and we're not entrusting our lives to Jesus and his leadership and direction, then we're kind of open to whatever bad stuff comes our way. I think the idea of protection is really intriguing because when I read through the Gospels and I look at Jesus and the way that he interacts with people, he is not protecting the brand of Judaism. He's just, he's not. Not at all. And, and I mean, and so then in addition to that, he's not, he doesn't protect himself really either. He does, He's not about, you look at how many times his character or his reasons for doing things is put on, on trial or is disparaged or is challenged. And in general, he doesn't really defend himself at all. And it's really intriguing to look at that because even in conversations that I have with my family and my community, and there's this feeling of, yeah, you know, we're losing Christian values in this country. We're losing, we're losing a sense of morality. We're losing, you know, a lot of those principles that the United States was initially founded on. And I'm thinking about that. And I was like, okay, are we, are we talking about the brand of Christianity? Or are we talking about the way that Jesus lived out his life? Because Jesus genuinely lived out of the power of the kingdom will prevail. But the way that my kingdom lives itself out in the world may be very different than the way that you perceive it should be living itself out in the world. And man, I, I don't know. I'm I'm just really intrigued by this idea of protection. And does Jesus need us protecting his brand? I I, I don't know. It's interesting. I'm sure people are offended just by the fact using brand of Christianity. I get it because I agree with you, but I I think other people are kind of going, hold it a minute. It's not a brand. It's the life of Jesus. But the approach you're taking, if we're going to be protective of ourselves that way, the way you're talking about it, then then we end up with domination, right? We end up by the acquiring Mm -hmm. of power. That's that's how protection happens. Mm -hmm. And so uh, even the seven mountains thing, which went from spheres of influence early on to actual mountains to then mountains that need to be dominated. It went to that level of domination. we got to get to the top of all these mountains and coerce culture to where we want culture to be. And that's very different than the road Jesus invited us down, which is you change the world through laying down your life. Take up your cross and follow me. It's not in the dominating of other people. It's in laying down your life, in serving others, in loving others. And one leads to more tenderness and one leads to more arrogance and aggression and the kinds of destructive things that the world already has. And that's what I hear. Do you think they're doing that? And I'm going, yes, they are. Yes, the left is doing that. Absolutely. But it doesn't change anything for the right to do it too. Now, politically, I don't care what politicians do on either side. Well, I care, but I'm, I'm not, I don't think they have a responsibility to follow the example of Jesus. But yeah. those of us who claim his name do. And the invitation of Christ by example as well as word 
was to less power in the, in the environment in which you live, to service, to laying down your life, to loving and tenderness and softness. It's not toward domination aggressive, certain groups that get together to do things in the dark and make stuff happen that other people are victims of. It's mm. not what he asked us to be part of. Yeah, and I think that's the intriguing part is you look at like the the seven mountains and that, you know, that teaching was very much a part of the YWAM stuff that I was in back in, you know, the early mid early to late 2000s. And and yet that how many times did they want to how many times did the people want to make or attempted to make Jesus their king? in order to step up, overthrow the Roman Empire, to to lead the way that they felt like they needed him to lead. And he bowed out every time. He could have stepped on the top of the political mountain, and yet that wasn't the avenue of change and movement in the world that he took and said, no, that yeah, this is exactly how the kingdom of God is going to move in the world. Because he could have. What, what if somebody on, on, on December 6th, 2021, would have had the ability to call a legion of angels to get what they wanted, who wouldn't have done it? And Jesus on the cross, dying the most incredible death that you could die. He has that at his disposal. He doesn't pull it. Good example, not about power. It's about life. But having these discussions with people who are blinded in the delusion of our day and the quest for protection and power. Here's what Jason wrote. He said, I just want to affirm this week's podcast was so affirming and heartbreaking as most of my closest friends are aligned with these topics. Your thoughts and insights were a breath of fresh air and so comforting. I struggle with deep connection because I find myself alone as I differ from the majority. And then this from Mike, which I, there's a lot here we might want to unpack in the time we have left, but Mike wrote me this. I've listened to more and have been, and he's talking about the podcast that we referred to here, uh, and have been pondering the followers of these charismaniacs, which is what he calls them. Like if they weren't buying in and following on a large scale, then the leaders would be irrelevant. So what is the attraction? I like the term they use, Christian supremacy or Christian supremacist. And that's not in the that's not in that first holy war thing, but it's in the longer audio podcast that comes that this all comes from. He said they want to be in control. They're not like the Jews of Jesus' time in that they want a conquering messiah. The idea of a subversive kingdom that tears down strongholds and transforms hearts and lives does not compute. So in one sense, it seems to be a lack of faith. These charismatics see faith as a tool in their belt to get what they want, enough faith to heal someone or grow a business, etc. Whereas I think biblical faith is faith in a person, Jesus, and that God is going to do what he said he was going to do. And if you let yourself go down the road in believing that the ecclesia is Christian rule of a nation rather than the community of God's people— I can totally get why it would be hard to feel the gentle nudge of the spirit to get off that path. That's a great statement, man. Once you once you buy into a distortion of a word like ecclesia from a community of God's followers to the ruling elite of a given culture or mountain to dominate, even, even by that seven mountains thing, it went from being spheres of influence. The end of it, it was the mountain, seven mountain mandate. That's how it was talked to about conquer. now. Yeah. In fact, Bill yeah. Maher made fun of it on the, on his show the other night. I'm going, how is Bill Maher in touch with this? But he was talking about the mountain <laughs> thing as well. Mike finishes this way. To me, it is Antichrist. 
It is all external conformity driven and no inward transformation. No love of your neighbor, even if the principle or law is good and right, demanding people submit and conform is antichrist. It's the law all over again, but worse, and not the way of Jesus. Hmm. Now, when I listen to those things, I think of the word antichrist too, and I know hmm. it's hard to apply that to alleged brothers and sisters in Christ. And I don't mean the antichrist in the sense of the e evil ruler at the end of the age, though they... If it had the kind of leanings they're looking for, they might well support it for where they're coming from if they think they're getting special protection from that personality. But even John writes, the Antichrist spirit's already loose in the age. And it's people that move folks away from Christ to something else that may have Christ's name attached to it, but Christ is no longer attached to it. Mm. And so is there some Antichrist spirit in this and I read this letter, this email, I'm going, yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think this is that Antichrist spirit, because inviting people away from following him to following someone else that's going to provide what you are afraid that you need, the switch you make is believing that Jesus is behind the way you want to be protected. Mm. And that's the fatal flaw that I think opens you up to a huge amount of delusion and I know this probably calls the herd. We did it with the elk thing, and now we'll do it with this. I'm sure people are going, wow, I've, I've invested a lot. And that's the thing. I've invested a lot in this other political approach to change the world. And once you do that, it's hard to step off that path, even mm -hmm. if Jesus is the one inviting you off of it. When I think about this, and as I've just been listening, and I listen to you know the, some of the podcasts and that we've been talking about, and then as I'm just listening to our conversation— one of the things that just keeps standing out to me is what is the fruit of this? You know, what, what are the fruit of these different pathways of these decisions? Like what, what is the kingdom? What are the characteristics of the kingdom that's being established or the kingdom that's being known in the world around? Because, you know, one of the things that came up for me is, you know, we're, we're gaining protection, but it's in despite of, or at the expense of others. When I look at Jesus and the way that he was interacting with, he was interacting with people that were the despised of society, that were the rejected of society, that were perceived as the traitors or the lesser than or the unclean or the diminished. Mm. I mean, he interacted with them a lot. There, there was no hesitation in that. And so then I think about, okay, are there injustices that are occurring? Are Is there... Is there a radicalization that is not necessarily looking out for my well-being or my wholeheartedness? Sure, on both sides, absolutely. But then I think back to, to okay, but are those people that have the bullhorns on either side of the argument, whether it be left or right or conservative, non conservative or liberal, do those people? Are their lives exhibiting that smell, that fragrance of life that is attractive, that draws people in, that speaks of wholehearted health? Is that what their lives portray? And honestly, I, on either side, I don't really see a lot of that I would be allured to, that I would be drawn into, that I would have a second question of, that's super attractive. I love what they're doing. I want to be a part of it. But for them, for either one of those pool of groups on either side... They would both answer in the affirmative. Oh my gosh, being with people like this who share the same passion, who you know worship together on the mall before we go to Capitol, they feel all that same stuff we're talking about. 
but they've reinterpreted it. So it is, it, on the one hand, it's, it's very much domination and coercion against the other side because the other side is wrong and needs to be punished, needs to be reined in, needs to be whatever, whether it's you're looking to protect yourself from the religious right or the woke left or however. So I, I agree with that. I don't think the fragrance of Father is there in the way that living loved has taught me to experience it. But in the old days, when I saw the world as us versus them, and I saw a God that was so offended by humanity's failures that the only way he could tolerate us was to slaughter his own son and put him on a cross, a story I don't believe that way anymore, but that was a story. It was very easy to think us versus them. It's very easy to marginalize and hate anyone you think is outside the scope of God's grace and care, and that you qualify for that by getting saved, of course. So if people are not saved, and God has no grace and mercy for them, it's all about vengeance. And there's a lot in Scripture that you can interpret to go that direction. I know I did. I grew up in the us versus them thing. We were the right ones. And even within Christianity, there were some more right than others. There were people we'd marginalize in Christianity. I'm not even sure they're saved or, you know, people like I was, I grew up Lutheran and then I got born again later in life. And then all the Lutherans are going, what? What? We're not born again when you were with us? And because it became a divisive term. We keep looking for the us versus them, whether it's secular Christian, whether it's religious, relational, whether it's instead of like you're talking about, if we live alongside Jesus in a world around us with people on all sides, left, right, whatever, and you're you're living in a way that wants Jesus to be revealed through you, and you're not worried about the mechanisms of power, you're not worried about any kind of coercive action at all, to realize the kingdom of heaven has always been and will always be an invitation not an imposition. And the seven mountain mandate is definitely an imposition. And what hurts my heart, I, I know people who are so caught up in that world, they don't see that they've lost that fragrance. I do. They were sweeter people back before they got caught up in all this. And now they're caught up in it, and, and now they've got to defend it because, man, I, I helped with this. I don't think it's going to be hard for them to hear the nudge to jump off that rail. And that's what hurts my heart because, and this, Mike, I had a phone conversation with him. I just read the email and he said, why, why did you and I get off that road? Cause he was on the same road I was. He knew some of these same people behind the scenes. He was being offered and lured into the beginning stages of what eventually became the new uh, apostolic reformation, whatever that was. Is that right? NAR? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, he said, how come you didn't? How come I didn't? What? Did? And I said, I don't know, man. I, I don't feel like I'm special. I just, there were, there were nudges. There were yuck factors. I just couldn't go down that road anymore. And yeah, it cost me. It, at every step, there was a cost to that. And at every step, you don't know, like you don't see the alternative because people often ask, mm -hmm. well, if it's not this way, then what is it? And I go, you mostly with Jesus, you don't know what else it is. You just say, I can't go down that road. So I'm looking for the next step Jesus has for me. Why did I not end up there? I, I can say, man, but for the grace of God, did the nudge of the Holy mm -hmm. Spirit. But was he not also nudging them? Did they not also, <laughs> did they miss it? Did they get so caught up so early in the desire for influence and structure and power that they got lost? And I, I've been lost in those things. So I could say, yeah, I think that could very well happen to people. 
And it takes a certain humility. I mean, this conversation is kind of like a John 6 thing of eat my flesh and drink my blood. And the, the no, we're here that. We're here for free food. Don't tell us we can't get free food from you every day because I'm tired of working for it. And just say, I'm going to let you walk away. I am. Because there's people, I mean, I love the emails and conversations I've had with people who are saying, okay, I'm not nuts. Because what you and I talked about last week are saying, I have felt that stuff in my heart, but I am the only one in my sphere of people I know who does who thinks this way. And if I express it, I'm going to be marginalized by the group I'm part of. And I'm going, yeah, I recognize all that. That's where truth has to be more important than comfort. We talk about that all the time on the show. And this is one of the places it comes down to is, is it my comfort that's most important or is it being true to what I think Jesus is asking me to be part of? And I think that's a, a really important element to this is that I, I want to highlight is that it doesn't mean that God's, the God's truth, the kingdom truth, is it still very much in need in our society today? That a standing on and a, a recognition of that truth is so incredibly important. I was just having a conversation over the weekend about what happened to common sense? You know, like what happened, like what happened to some of just the basic idea, like premises of common sense. Like for example, why are we sending billions of dollars over to Ukraine and not, not helping out Hawaii? Like what just happened there? You know, like what, what we could have rebuilt the, the city in the cities and towns in Hawaii five times over for the price that we sent over to Ukraine. And it's, you know, it's not that we can't, we shouldn't be helping or, you know, we shouldn't be aware of and contributing to both of those. But there was just this idea of, okay, we've got some people in our own country that just suffered this horrific disaster. And, and yet the, the response was disproportionate between Ukraine and between um, Hawaii. So how do we handle that? How do we navigate that? Or some of the conversations that I get into with a day in a daily basis with people about they're, the way that they're pursuing life, and yet the way that they're pursuing life isn't working anymore. And yet they've committed to it. They've been on that track for a while. They've they're they're all in. You know, to use poker terms, they're pot committed, and yet they're also saying it doesn't have the the joy, the thriving, that smell of life, that experience, that that excitement that I used to have. So why is that not the case anymore? You know, and even thinking about the seven mountains, God is very much doing that, but it's not in the way that humans are, the humans are trying to manufacture or force it into existence. Are there not passionate remnant Christ followers that are a part of every influence in every, in every society? Are there not businessmen? Are there not educators? Are there not politicians? Are there not, you know, are there not pastors? Are there not like that? aren't in alignment with that, but are they the ones that are seeking out the power and trying to force it into the existence? And I'm going to get to the top and I'm going to make this happen so I can make these decisions, but at what cost? I don't know. It just, like, I think about it. I'm like, yeah, father, that's what happened. I mean, I, I was in mental health. I was in counseling. That was part of what I was doing. And now I'm doing some life coaching and I'm in education and I love it. I get to have amazing conversations with young people every single day. And I absolutely love it. This is where I'm thriving. Yeah. Did I force anything to existence? Did I try to domineer? Am I looking to be the president of the college? Heck no, I don't want to be the president. I want to be able to have conversations with kids, yeah. you know, or with students. Yeah. And so, you know, but 
I don't know. It's just intriguing. I'm not sure I see the false dichotomy between, between Hawaii and Ukraine, because I think we put a lot of federal dollars in both places. Right? Did we? Okay. I, the, the I'm not sure I see that. The numbers that I've seen recently were kind of disproportionate, but that's okay. I mean, that's, I'm sure it's just because uh, war is very different than a natural disaster. Yes. And, you know, we've got programs to deal with that. We don't, obviously, a war, but... That's I hear you, I hear your larger yeah. point. I hear where where's the priority, and that, that's where my heart goes. Because I have, it's easy to name the name of Christ and identify yourself with, as you call it, the brand of Christianity, and not demonstrate His life and character in your life. And I, I I've lived both of my lives in both places. I lived for mm-hmm. twenty years with the brand of Christianity. I thought was real. God engaged me. It wasn't it wasn't yeah. completely bereft of God. It wasn't idolatrous. But it wasn't leading me into the reality of who he was and how he wanted to shape my heart and change me. As Christ followers, I don't think that we do a great job at honoring, you know, some of the things that some of the injustices that do occur in the whole thing of they're doing this to us. Right. And then creating reinforcing that us versus them. It's like it's OK. It's OK to grieve the the things that are happening to us or the injustices that are taking place or you know the honestly the evil that we're encountering we need to honor the fact that that sucked that hurt i don't like that that's painful and i need to grieve that i need to give respect and time to that and i don't think we've done a great job with that and that's why as a result we have this horrific intensity of anger and bitterness and resentment but because we're Christians, that can't exist. So it just continues to seethe inside of us right at the right underneath the surface level. And then when opportunity arises, all of a sudden this just explosion takes place. Yeah. And it's like, oh my gosh, where did that even come from? You know, what what happened there? It's all a measure of powerlessness, right? Because we felt like yeah. we had control. Yeah. And now we don't have control. So we must reassert control. And Correct. We never had it the way they think about it anyway. America was never what they think about a God-honoring nation full of God's rules. And it was it was never that, but they think it was. So I, I get why you can be in this club forever and not find the nudge away from going, you know what? We keep doubling down on what revival is or should be or control, or changing the culture, changing America, grabbing it back for God. All the things we put on ourselves keeps leading us down a road of ever-increasing darkness, but we can't see it, particularly when we have success at something. We had our president for four years, quote-unquote. We had power and influence in various schemes of things. So it's very hard to step back and say, wow, compare this to the kingdom? And I've traded something beautiful for something full of vitriol and anger and, and more divisive. I've become what the world is. And that that's the argument I hear all the time. You know, they're doing it to us. Yeah, I hear you. Yep. I hear you. But is that a reason to become like them? Or is that even more a space to invite the kingdom above all other kingdoms? that we don't bring by sheer force of will on our culture, that we invite Jesus to come and do in us. And the people, like you say, the people you're talking to every day, the sphere I live in, that's, that's the one that matters. And it's how the character of Christ transforms people there, not the power I can gain to be coercive in a world that has too many coercive elements to begin with. Thank you for traveling with us today on The God Journey. You can join this conversation by visiting thegodjourney.com. 